1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
2: He is sitting right next to me and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking, almost like he's like going to throw up. And uh, so I'm talking to him. I'm like, you all right?" He goes, no, I'm, I'm not doing very well. I'm like, w- what's wrong? And he goes, well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there.
1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. All right, welcome in to another episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments. My name is Phil Mackey, and this episode is part of a multi-part series about the 2009 Minnesota Vikings. It's been 10 years since we all went on that magic Brett Favre carpet ride. Uh, I think they should have won the Super Bowl. We can dive into some of that stuff. But our crew for this episode includes Judd Zolgad, who covered the Vikings in those days as a beat writer for the Star Tribune. We're going to catch up with quarterbacks coach during that era of Vikings football, Kevin Rogers, who's full of stories, and Sage Rosenfels, backup quarterback to Brett Favre during 2009 in the film room on a daily basis with also countless stories.
2: Before we get into this, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> of all the I've been things mentally preparing that you, for 10 years. I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but are you sure you want to go back and take off the Band-Aid because I don't think the scab has healed for most people, <laughs> including myself, and uh, and we're gonna I th- we're gonna we're gonna rip this thing off, and we're gonna look at what what happened. So he, ten years ago, now
1: here's what this is. This is your scab. I'm peeling the Band-Aid off, and knowing Judd, he's sitting over there with a tub of sea salt to pour into it. Now nah,
2: he's nah, he's like Kramer up there with the, uh, the the juju fruit, and one's gonna land in my scab and uh, you know fix my problem. <laughs> I want to find out now what i didn't know back then that's why i'm here uh, well we'll see what happens here we'll see what uh when you start scratching uh various aspects of my brain and what you know sort of floats out uh from from that season
1: so we're going to do we're going to basically do two episodes here with you sage and we're we're going to do one full episode on just the 2009 NFC championship game but let's let's start sort of at the beginning cuz so Judd and i have this unique perspective as Sort of insiders but outsiders. I at the time was at at KFAN writing about the Vikings for KFAN.com. Judd was at the Star Tribune. And it was August nineteenth of two thousand nine when I believe it was a black SUV carrying just Brad was anyone else in the black SUV besides Childress and Favre Jud? Was Uh, it just those two and a cup of caribou coffee? Just those two. And and they pull up to Winter Park and there were two or three hundred people. Fans who had caught wind of, of this, and, and I believe Channel 5 had a helicopter following it, like the OJ chase. There was a guy in a chicken
3: suit outside of Winter Park. There was just like on the corner chaos outside of Winter Park for a restaurant. He had a sign and he was in a full chicken suit. Mm. And you guys, I think,
1: were practicing, it was just going through sort of the post Mankato uh, pre regular season practice. So, how in the know were players? When it came to the the, sort of the back and forth with Brett Favre and because you're in the middle of a you're in the middle of a battle for the starting quarterback job at the time and all of a sudden like Brett Favre shows up so what was it like as a player when when the arrival happened?
2: You know get sort of some perspective here I was uh, the backup quarterback for the Houston Texans uh, behind Matt Schaub uh, and I had played a ton in the previous two seasons and played so well that I was felt like I could maybe compete somewhere else to be a starter. Matt had a Fairly large contract. I had just that classic backup uh, sort of deal, and and I was looking to have it, you know, it sort of my one big opportunity. I'd finally played a lot. I started 10 games with six and four in those 10 starts, and, and three of the losses were to the Colts and Peyton Manning. So I'd played some pretty good football. And, uh, and you know, obviously, Tavares. Uh, up here, you guys or I think ten and six the year before went to the playoffs. But Tavares really hadn't didn't play all that well, and it was still sort of unproven. and And I thought, you know, there's a guy, there's a spot where maybe I could I could you know compete and win, and and it's a really good football team. You know, if you're going to go somewhere to start, you don't want to go to a team that's you know that won two games the year before. You're just going to get killed. and You're going to get a little paycheck. But uh, I came here to to compete and start, and and I thought I could be out Tavares. So through through summer through OTAs uh through those first couple of preseason games I thought I had played better than than Tavares and and he by the way he and I always got along really well I think it was probably our our sort of common dislike of our coach our head coach, you know, sort of like the fact that Tavares was even like a chili guy, I guess, but it's not like he loved chili by any means, you know. So I think we just sort of, I don't know, we we both had our struggles within certain things of the offense that bothered us, and so I, we got along really well. But I thought I had sort of outplayed him and played pretty well in the first preseason game. Uh, I think I played pretty well in the second preseason game, from what I recall, and then yeah, then we show up post Mankato. Uh, uh, you know, back in Minneapolis, and it's one of those first practices when we got here. I'm not sure if it was the first one, but one of the first practices where we would, uh, we had moved back from Mankato Mankato and we're now, you know, basically staying at our houses or whatever, and sort of more on a regular practice, you know, uh, schedule. You know, that third preseason game is sort of like a mock game week. You know, you sort of have your if it's a you know if it's a, you know, if it's a, if it's a Saturday night game, maybe you started on. Uh, a little bit different, but you sort of have that, try to make it like it's a regular season type of week for like a lot of the young guys. Like this is how you sort of do it. You install certain plays on Wednesday, you install, install certain plays on Thursday, blah, blah, blah. So we're sitting there uh, Monday or that, <clears throat> whatever the morning, whatever the, what day, you know day of the week this was? Was it like a Monday or Tuesday or yeah, something? Yeah, it probably was, yes. So uh, we're, um, we have our morning meeting and um, we break up, Uh, After that morning meeting, uh, you know, there's always like a team meeting and then everyone breaks up into either like offense defense or into just individual meetings. And so we're going to break up into, I believe, an offense all off like uh, individual meetings. And so we're going to be with Kevin Rogers, who's our quarterbacks coach. But before that, uh, Brad Childress takes uh, Tavares and I, and I believe John David Booty that's, was that's the, right. the other quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not leave him out of the mix here, but, you know, and um, brings us into. This room, which really just was where Chris Clue played video games, it seemed like to me. It was like, a, I guess it was a lounge room. And I don't know if it had a pool table, but it had video games. And it had like a guitar hero thing that Kluwe was like a national champion or something he at. Was, he was very good. Yes. So <laughs> I was never really in there, but like that was probably the only time we were in there. Um, so, and, and Childress says to all of us, he says, well, guys, today we, uh, we're we going to sign Brett Favre. And blah blah blah. And so to you know, we it was it was no more than a minute long. And actually
1: we have we have exclusive audio of this actually. Um, oh you do. Uh, um, or uh, um
2: and um spit it out, Brad. Um so after that meeting, we, you know, went to the quarterback's room and I, I don't really remember m- much after that, you know, we had a couple hours of meetings and talked about, you know, we're, we're like installing the game plan, you know, like we're installing the game plan. The quarterback wasn't there yet. You know what I mean? So, um, then we got to like, I think we had a walk through or something and then we had lunch. So I'm sitting there in the cafeteria, old winter park. Uh, I'm at this table and uh, I'm f- facing, I'm sort of facing the table and behind the table is the TV, if that makes any sense. And at my table, though, is Jared Allen, Greenway, Lieber, I think Heath Farwell, who was like a linebacker, special teams guy, him and, and, and Jared, he was like Jared Allen's little minion type of deal. Uh, so there's like five, sixers. maybe John Sullivan or center. And uh, we're watching this thing. And it was one of those deals where, like, well, this is awkward, you know. Like, here we are sitting next to Sage, who, like, you know, moved his whole family up here and you know took a chance, <laughs> took a chance of a lifetime to try to be. This. Now it's like, well, that's over. So, uh, but you know, we'll see how this goes. I mean, it was, it was that was, it wasn't like uh, it, it was, it, it was just sort of funny. It was just sort of like, well, this is weird, you know. Like, what's going on here, you know? Like, and there's like, where are they? I, I think they're over. You know, I think they're over now by like where Tria is or something. You know what I mean? It's like it's like where are they on 494 or something like that? Where's and, Waldo? Yeah, it was. And then they were, and then they next thing you know, they pull. I mean, they pull into because at Winter Park at that cafeteria, you can actually look out onto the parking yeah. lot and almost look out to the street. So you, so, you guys are
1: watching the news, like the helicopter footage of this, yes, while eating lunch.
2: Yes, while eating lunch. Yes, and um, and then you know they showed up and walked into a. You know the other room, and there's people are shaking hands, and uh, you know the whole thing. And I mean that's pretty much what I remember, and uh, yeah, I, I don't remember much after that actually. So I don't remember that. There the, at least the rest of that day. I mean at that point, I was like, well, it looks like I'm just like the number two or number three quarterback, and you know, let's see how this thing goes. You know, it's going to be interesting.
1: So there were so many things in that season. I mean, there was there was all these just little peak moments. Obviously, the arrival of Favre. The I, I he was he was easing into the season, that Cleveland game where Peterson ran for three touchdowns and a buck 80 and stiff-armed some poor Browns defender halfway <laughs> man, to the bench oh on the sidelines. Yeah, And Favre was just, like, the first two games of the season, Favre was just, all right, we're here, I'm 40, you know, I'm just, uh, I tore my biceps last year, and I think all of us wondered, is he just going to be here to hand off to Peterson? Like, what is, what's, and then all of a sudden, the 49ers game in week three at home, and the second half. Was and, that
2: week three?
1: Yeah, it was. Early in the season, Man, week three or yeah,
2: four, I, yeah, I should uh, home opener. It, it was yeah. You played actually. Greg was back in the end zone. That yeah. was amazing. I mean, we could just deep dive into that play. Let's do you it. Know? What do you? Um, what do you remember? Because let's, well, so first game of the year, and uh, you know, I remember like well, you know, we'll see how this goes. We're going to come. the nice thing is for me is you know for whatever reason, even though I outplayed well. I could probably give you some good reasons, but for the, I felt like I outplayed Tavares. So I was really still going, okay, well, I'd, I'd like to be the number two guy. And then, then Brad, maybe the number three guy. And now I had been the number three guy early in my career for like four years. It's a, I mean, people love the backup spot. The number three guy is the real money because, you know, there's like no stress, right? I mean, <laughs> the backup spot, you may not play, but like you're stressed out that you might play the third guy you're not gonna play so like that's the best spot to be in and I was making three million bucks it was like, what a deal you know, I was like the highest paid third string quarterback in the in the history of the league so San Francisco week three and so we're we're playing this team and that was who was their head coach at that time was it Mike Dolan in 09 I'm not sure but their defense was really good I think
3: it was Mike because Mike had come from Baltimore as the defensive coordinator
2: okay Yep. So their defense. No, it, dude,
3: was, it
1: was Mike Singletary. It
2: was a Singletary. Oh, but their defense really was Never good. Mind now, that. their offense wasn't great uh, during that time with their defense. And that ended up being the, sort of the the defensive nucleus that, you know, Harbaugh ended up actually sort of walking into. You know, Harbaugh got a lot of credit for taking that 49ers team to the Super Bowl, but their offense was terrible. And they won by just having this sort of collegiate, grinded out. Offense because Kaepernick could run. He was much, he was enough of a threat, and then versus like you know very simple defense, he could complete some good throws. And Frank Gore was just sort of a monster, and they just sort of played beat it up football. But their defense was like scary. Justin Smith was really good. Uh, they had a two just hard hitting safeties. They had the linebackers, um, three like you know basically Pro Bowl style linebackers. And so yeah, that 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 was what was the scary part of the team. And Favre got the—and this is the game where, like, okay, Favre can't just hand it off to Adrian or throw some quick bubble screens to Percy. He's going to have to, like, really win this game. And he got the crap just completely beat out of—that was, like, the first time of, like, oh, my God. I mean, I I was 31 years old, and he was 39 turning 40. And I remember thinking to myself, there is no chance that in eight or nine years that I could do any of what he's doing now physically. Like, I I would just break— my wrist would break yeah. my ankle would break my and he would just and he would just sort of get up and ho- hobble it off and
1: even on the play the, the Greg Lewis play I think he hung in there and I, th- I think he took a shot on that yeah, play right
2: yeah so oh yeah after he threw the ball he you know he sort of side swiped a guy and and uh, it, it, he had to buy time so again I don't remember much of the game yeah. and the five, how about the, the play yeah, crap, yeah what do you remember but, about the, the play I remember everything about this play it was incredible the, the previous we you know we, we only had I'd like to go back and we only had, I feel like you know, a minute, minute and a half, minute, you know, maybe even under a minute to to move the ball to get to even have a chance to uh, you know maybe throw a hail mary right. There, there's an aspect of you know the, the chances sometimes of moving the ball all the way down to the ten and actually having legit shots to the end zone isn't always realistic. A lot of times, like let's just try to get the ball near midfield sure. or to the plus forty, so at least we can have a two or three shots of a hail mary. That's sometimes that's the best you got. So we get we do move the ball down, but we had just basically called the same play like four or five times in a row. It was Just all go routes because we're just trying to uh, you know get as big as bigger chunks as possible. Try to stop the clock or whatever. So after like the third or fourth one, Percy Harvin is. I mean, you've run straight four straight sprints in a row, and he was just completely exhausted. And then we'd move the ball down to the. Yeah,
1: it was down to the the forty six, and then to the thirty nine. Uh, no timeouts, by the way, so that's why you know, chunks of time were just leaking off.
2: Yeah, so Percy Harvin comes out of the game. Yeah, he
1: right. had a, it was a 15-yard uh, completion to get to the 39-yard line, and then the one play between Percy coming out and and the Greg Lewis play was a 7-yard completion to Bernard Berrien to get from the 39 to the 32. Okay. I think that was without Percy
2: on the field. Yeah, so Percy had come off, and Greg Lewis, who probably hadn't played a snap yet that season maybe— uh, as a wide receiver, maybe on some special teams. He was, fa- he was fast and he was sort of like somebody to be a gunner or whatever. But, um, he had come again, a guy that also just sort of had showed up more recently, like had come from that Philadelphia system. Childress you guy, know, right? Childress guy or whatever. And I think, and he's coaching the NFL. He, well, he was coaching yes. for the, the Chiefs. I'm not sure he's coached for now as like a wide receivers coach, but anyway, so. Our receivers are exhausted. We got this you know, young, fresh guy in the game, which is like, well, you know, he's like the last guy Favre's going to throw the ball to. So what was interesting is if you, if you think about our formation to the quarterback to right all the way as a receiver was Sidney Rice. And then you had Shanko, the tight end, also to the right. You had Greg Lewis in the slot to the left. And then you had maybe Bernard Baring as that what we call the X receiver all the way to the left by the other team sideline. Um, and so we called again the same play four verticals, you know, and Sydney Rice to the right and Shanko were so exhausted, and the and the DBs the 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 safeties and the corners were playing like twenty five yards deep and just sort of standing there like you know it, they weren't playing like a normal what we call cover four coverage they were just like. You know, keep the ball in front of you type of thing yeah. and let them throw 10 yard completions. There's literally just not enough time for them to run that many more plays to work the ball in the end zone. So they're happy to give up a 10 yard stop route and to Sydney or something. So Sydney and Shanko run up and there's like, you know, there's no, there's no reason to like chase a ghost or whatever, right? So there's no reason to just like keep running because the DBs are just standing back. They're basically in a hell Mary type of position, but on, on roughly, I would say the five yard line, maybe they were just sort of standing there. And so Shanko and Sydney stopped after about running for about 15 or 20 yards. They just stopped.
1: And they stopped just because they were tired? or was I think it a like-
2: mix of tired and like, well, you're not going to, Favre's not going to just throw the ball up for these guys who are just bailing because it's, they're going to fair catch it basically at this point. And maybe just because they were so exhausted, you know what I mean? Because this is like the fifth or sixth play. It seems like they'd run like the same route in a row. And the guys are just, just tired, so they just stopped. Meanwhile, Favre's back there buying time. You know, he's making the guy miss. He's basically in Hell, hell Mary mode. Um, and that safety in the corner to Sidney's and Shanko's side end up sort of coming up because it's like, okay. Those guys have stopped running now. There's no threat deep. We're going to sort of come up. Now, then there's Greg Lewis on the other side, who's fresh, and he's running his <laughs> post route on his left-hand side, and that post <laughs> route is what we call a bender, so versus a cover two or two high-safety coverage, you're not going to run right at the safety, you're going to a bend across his face, almost like a post route. Well, that usually is hit at about 20 yards. You know, there's timing there, right? There's a space between the linebackers and the safeties It's like a sweet spot about 20 yards where you hit that bender. Well he took the angle at at the 20 yards or whatever, and he just kept running, you know. So that angle ended up bringing him across to the other side of the field behind the safety who was, like, over Shanko and behind the corner who was over Sidney Rice on the quarterback's right side. And Favre bought time and somehow found him. I don't know how, but somehow found him and let it fly. And uh, and you just sort of, I mean... he catches it in the back of the end zone and and he gets his feet down yeah. and the place goes crazy and you you my really my first thought was there's no way that's a completion. There's just no way. And you couldn't really see the back uh of the end zone. I feel like it that might have been part of the field that was almost like a warning track. I mean, I'm not sure if it was you know, like if it was like artificial turf or not, or whatever, I'm not even sure, but it was, it just felt like there's just no way he caught that in bounds, and that's a completion because it was, and then the, the throw was, it was so insane. And, and uh, you see the review, and the whole crowd goes absolutely crazy because you could see pretty clearly like that was a catch. That was a catch. And, uh, and yeah, that was the end of that. The part about that play,
3: when I went back and watched it a thousand times, Sage, that absolutely I thought was um, the most astounding thing, is Brett, there's I think a linebacker or a D lineman rushing at Brett, and, and it's the guy, he got hit eventually, but I think the first guy didn't get him, and they always talked about the size of Brett's hand. But if you remember, he literally raked the ball around. The, he, like, brings it up, around, and down to avoid the pressure.
2: Yeah, he sort of like, he's sort of, uh, well, I don't know what the word. It's almost like a... Someone who's fighting the bulls, you know what I mean. He sort of like olayed him with the, but,
3: but with the ball, with the ball. Yeah, that know.
2: to me, I'm. If you can just talk about, you
3: know, I've seeing, seen that.
2: But yeah, well, that's sort of a natural reaction for a quarterback. You know, you do a lot of times these drills where you're in the pocket and as you drop back and then you have a coach like try to hit the ball and so you move the ball around and usually try to keep it in two hands is the generally coaching sure thing. But sometimes there's like a natural reaction to bring the ball over the guy who's who's going to swipe at it. And uh, and he did that, and then um, then after he threw it, he got destroyed. I think it was Justin Smith, who was I think should be a Hall of Fame defensive uh, tackle for the Forty Nineers. Uh, I think it was him, and just destroyed Favre. So obviously, he probably. You know what's interesting is a lot of throws as a quarterback that you end up making, you throw the ball and you don't really realize it till later, but you watched it be completed or intercepted or whatever it might be. But your, your view is from your head next to the grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I just got killed. My head's not, I'm like laying on the ground, basically, and I'm like watching the play down the field. It's a very weird way to like see what happens. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times you just sort of wait for the crowd reaction to know if it was it was caught or not. It
1: works the other way, too. It, sometimes with Brett Favre, we're like, the play's now coming back the other way at you because somebody else caught it that wasn't supposed yeah, to. And but, you're laying there. Well, then
2: you get to decide if you want to get up or not, yeah. which is nice. <laughs> you know, you could just lay there. But yeah, he, you know, he got completely cr- Crushed after that play, and and uh, and you know, it was it was amazing. I don't know how many fans had left. I, I, I think a fair amount of fans had uh, had gone home, um, and uh, I think one of the great throws and catches, like I honestly in like NFL history. I mean, I don't, I don't think that play it actually gets enough credit. There's a lot of famous plays in NFL history. Maybe it's just because it was a Week Three game, and the championship games of that season overshadows all the other games. But that was absolutely incredible. And that was the first time that I'd really seen. And this is year nine for me, but this is like, that was true magic. That was the first time I'd actually seen. That type of magic from a player. You know, I mean, Dan Marino throwing, having that, you know, two, uh, uh, spike it play versus the Jets on Monday night back in the day, or, you know, th- these plays that happened over the years where like magic sort of happened. Far
1: up to, di- far up to, uh, what's Antonio Freeman with Chris Dishman falling asleep oh. on Monday Night Football, too, where the Atlanta. ball kind of bounced off of his back. Yeah. And around. Or, or
2: some of the stuff that Randy Moss used to do back in the day, you know, yeah. and when he caught that one ball and then, and then he, uh, uh he, 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 uh, flipped
1: it to Mo Williams. Flipped
2: it to the Wizenator or whatever. <laughs> was he the no, that was Ontario Smith. So that was the first time I'd really seen just just something that I could not believe yeah. uh, in the National Football League. And I'd been in the league for like nine years at that time.
1: It was, uh, it's having also been in the building, and Judd and I were both in the press box for that game. It's top three crowd noise pop I have ever heard in a building, and that includes being at later on that that calendar year, being inside uh, Metrodome for Game One Sixty Three, Twins and Tigers. Uh, I wasn't in the Metrodome for uh, the Twins World Series in '91, but like it's the, like like one of the the three loudest crowd pops I think I've ever heard when he came down with that ball initially. When people you know, when people. Th- Thought that it was a touchdown, and it was, but then we had to, of course, wait for the replay. Yeah. What was, like, before we die, because I want to talk about some of the Packers stuff later on that year, too, but... Oh, man. Just a quick aside, what was Brett like behind the scenes, and what was it like watching film with him? What are some things, like, that we wouldn't know that you would have experienced with him behind the scenes?
2: Well... You know, I got to him so so late in his career. What was sort of neat was that he would sort of joke around about like how little he knew for a long time. You know, there's this famous story that uh, it was like year, I think it was like year four, and um, when they when he was with the Packers and 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 the offensive coordinator was was talking about if it was Andy Reid or if it was Holmgren or what they were talking about nickel defense and and he pulls like you know. Ty Detmer aside or whoever the backup was at the time is like, what is he talking about with this nickel defense? And it's like, you know, year four in the NFL. These are something that you sort of learn. At this point, you probably high school people, you know, know it. You know, it's when you take out a linebacker, you put in another DB because the offense has three receivers and you have five DBs a la nickel defense. And he did not know what that was. And he'd probably been to some Pro Bowls already and he you know, he just was like a see it and throw it true gunslinger early on. There was no analyzing of the of the of the defense all that much. It was like this guy looks like he's gonna be open. I'm gonna i I'm gonna, you know, throw him the ball. And that was pretty much it. And then over time, he became he was very creative in his own way. He used, he would say these things of like, huh. And I, and I always thought myself as sort of a uh uh, an X's and O's guy. I enjoyed the X's and O's. I had just come from Kyle Shanahan, who I think is one of the best X's and O's guys in the league. And he was young, but first year as a coordinator when I was in Houston. That thought Kubiak was really good. I played for North Turner, uh, played for a lot of different coaches along the way, Brian Schottenheimer, my rookie year. and But he would say these things of like, well, you know, if we do this with this protection, we can do this, that, and the other. And I was like, huh, that, that's really interesting. I never never thought of about, that, that, about it that way. Um, but he would... He's had seen so many defenses and been through so many practices that that's when he started doing some things with protections or the running backs. Uh, he would tell guys a little bit, hey, you know, rather than protecting this one, just go out and be a free release player. And if the guy comes, I'll just throw hot. And I was, you know, it's like, all right, well, Brett's going to do that. I mean... And but then it would like it would work out, you know, like there is this thing in, in defense a lot of times when they blitz what we call a zone dog. Don't don't ask me why they call it that way. But basically, it's a it's a blitz with a zone behind it. Normally, you think a team blitzes and they play man to man behind it. Well, to play zone behind it, a lot of times you blitz from one side and then you like drop. A defensive end on the other side. Actually, Mike Boone had a catch the other day in a preseason game where he ran and like an option route off of a defensive end that was dropping in the coverage. Because if you blitz two from over here, yeah. you want to play zone. You got to drop someone from over here. You see that defensive end, so I stand up and drop out. Well, he would slide the entire line to, to pick up the blitz, and then if that happens, the running back would. If, if the defensive end does indeed rush, the running back would have to block the defensive end. Well, that's a really bad matchup, right? But Brett in his own mind goes, well, he's not going to come. He's going to drop into coverage. Now I basically have uh, you know, Chester Taylor, our running back, or somebody running an option route on the defensive end. That's the best, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, man, never even thought about that. But what if the defensive end just does come? You know, like Sometimes they screw up too. I'm going to guess that this
1: is the type of stuff that Brad Childress would get all worked up about.
2: This is the type of stuff that Brad Childress didn't understand. Okay. And of course he would get worked up about it, right? So Brett could see these things quicker than I could see them. Um, from my limited experience at that time, you know, Peyton Manning could see things, you know, really, really quickly as well. But he was the first time I was around where I saw the coach like manipulating protections the best way I like to see it. Now I went to the Giants next year and Eli did it all the time. He wasn't creative like that, but he was the guy who could find every way possible to come up with the protection to figure out how we're going to stop this blitz. And he could do it on the spot really, really quickly. Uh, Favre was it had his own creative way of doing it, and uh, and and it it definitely kept things interesting. You know what I mean. And what was really cool about it was those guys like Chester Taylor or really anybody on the team. You didn't question it, right? Like if if Brett goes, "Hey, I want you to run this route," everybody would do what he had said to do, right? It was it was cause it was probably going to be something really good. I would say nine out of 10 times it was the right move to do to, you know, to for whatever he was trying to, whatever he was selling, it was more often than not. Right. And so guys knew from, he had so much, uh, a credibility walking into that building that when, you know, it, it, all those guys, whether it's Bernard Barry and Sydney, Percy Harvin, um, it, it, Chester Taylor, all these guys, Shanko, if Brett told you something that wasn't necessarily a part of like the, uh, the route that was called in the huddle, um, Everybody did it every single time and it almost always worked out.
1: Kevin Rogers was the Vikings quarterback coach from two thousand six through two thousand eleven and was very much and has probably a million stories he could he could tell here, but we want to ask you, Kevin, specifically about Brett Favre and what it was like being his quarterback's coach, being with him behind the scenes in the film room, preparing for games. What stands out the most to you when you think about Brett Favre in two thousand nine?
4: Well, first of all, the, the beginning of two thousand and nine, uh, you know, the rumors had been swirling about him coming to Minnesota, and, uh, but you know, and and there were a lot of meetings and reference to him coming. And be very honest with you, you know, like what I'd heard about Brett, I really didn't know him personally, and and what I knew about Brad Childress, I'm not sure that that situation was going to work out, you know, because Brad was such a stickler about stuff and and, and everything I've, I've heard about i heard about brett was you know what a cowboy he was and uh so anyway obviously we got him we had the you know it looked like the oj uh, chase coming into minneapolis when uh, we picked him up to for his first practice first time i ever met him was on the practice field uh in the exercise line uh and it didn't take long to uh to figure out the guy i mean he is. uh he is a piece of work in every sense of the word. But, uh, anyway, I, I think Sage would remember we have, uh, we had this play called Fox 2 Run. And, uh, w- you know, it was coached meticulously in terms of the footwork and uh, you know, we're going to take a step and a half back, keep our eyes on the backside linebacker, then find the tailback with the ball, you know, and Brad Childress was just a big time stickler in terms of That being correct, you know that was one of the many things that had to be exact. Well, Brett, we call Fox Two Run first time. We're doing center quarterback exchange. We Brett takes the snap, he fakes a bubble screen to the right, twists around it. Throws a bubble screen to the left, and then turns around and hands it off. And obviously, that's not what we wanted. But first thing I did was look (laughs) at Brad Childress, you know, and if he didn't say anything, I sure as hell wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) but uh but as far as brett as a player uh totally unique uh you know i had him when he was 40 years old he still had an arm like a rocket ship you know he had the reputation of, of being a gunslinger and a cowboy yet that year that 2009 season the guy throws for 34 touchdowns and i believe it was seven interceptions and truly amazing things that that sage and i got to watch with that guy you know, like you think about the 49ers' two-minute uh, drill uh, that season when, when, you know, we had 12 seconds left and he buys time and he hits Greg Lewis, who's in for his first snap of the game with no time left at the very, very back of the end line. Uh, just an tr- unbelievable play. You know, I mean, you figure the game's over. And then those two wins against uh, Green Bay, you know, and he was a happy go lucky guy. I mean, uh, you know, the personality in the locker room, but before those two games, boy, he was tight lipped. And I thought nervous like came out and played lights out in both games. And, you know, I remember running out of the tunnel with him. We played up in green Bay and hearing those boos. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you gotta really be good to get booed like this, you know? And, And, uh, and then getting into the uh, the uh, the NFC Championship game, um, you know, we had a hell of a team. I mean, a really, really good team. And um, You know, he played his butt off. I remember we went through exhaustive preparation for that game. I remember everybody on the team got uh, earplugs because we were so concerned about the crowd noise. Uh, there were virtually no checks in the entire game and he managed to get us 450 yards total offense. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, you know, like when when New Orleans lost that game this year on that pass interference call, you know, it was, uh, you know, what comes around goes around as far as I was concerned because, you know, that, uh, uh, that Bounty Gate game was absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. And... uh I'm amazed that some of those guys still have jobs in the NFL. But but Brett Favre uh, was everything I could have imagined in a quarterback and even more. And absolutely, every day he showed up for work, it was a good day. He had fun. I mean, he really had fun. And that was a 40-year-old man, and uh, he made it fun for
2: all of us. Uh, Coach, you know, tell me about your thoughts uh, of that quarterback room. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, it started before Brett showed up. It was it was Tavares. Uh, I had just been traded there in, in late February, early March. Uh, John David Booty was also on the roster. Right. Um, and then Brett shows up. Uh, but we had this quarterback room, yeah. which, you know, you could think, uh, had some, you know, hurt feelings by either me or Tavares or whoever, because, you know, we, of course, we wanted to be the starter. Uh, but, but tell me actually how the room was, uh, with you in it, with, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel, who was in probably, you know, some of our meetings as well, of course, as the offensive coordinator, uh, and how that chemistry worked.
4: Well, uh, you know, uh, it was a great room in that there was truly a selfless attitude and, uh, Everybody was proactive in game planning. Uh, You know, so everybody got their say. Uh, The younger guys obviously knew their place a little bit better than, uh, or or better than the older guys did. You know, uh, the older guys, you know, you'd been there and done that. And you were a valued, valued member of that football team. And, you know, it wasn't just another guy walking in that room. You know, we're talking about one of the greatest players ever playing that league. Uh, I mean, a Hall of Fame guy. Uh, and you had to respect what he'd done, and uh, once he got on the field, you, you had to respect what he does. But that that room itself, though, I think we look forward to being in that room. You know, if 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 uh, I don't want to sound delusional about it, but but you know, it was a great room. You know, we were all on the same page. We we're all in it to win. Uh, you know, we were at, at ease with each other. Uh, you know, it was just it was just a really really good situation in contrast, you know, to you know the room that we had the year after. You
3: know, so Brad, back to uh, Brad and Brett. We we obviously saw what was uh, the beginning of a little bit at least of a blow up, Kevin, in Carolina after uh, Brad t- tried to lift Brett from that game, and Brett told us about it, and Brad got mad. But what was that relationship like between Childress and Favre throughout? 2009 because as you said that's two very headstrong individuals
4: um it was you know it wasn't the greatest relationship in the world that's for sure but they they very rarely talk to each other you know i mean if brad had something to say he would say it uh of course he was going to get answered back too at the same time but uh it was uh that was the one time the one time where you know they actually had a confrontation. And I really wasn't privy, uh, you know, on the headsets for some reason or another that he was in fact going to take them out. Cause I think, I think Sage is the guy that told me over the headsets, <laughs> I think he's going to pull him. I think he's going to pull him. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to see it pulled. I thought it was the wrong time, wrong situation, even to get involved in that. It was one of those games that, you know, didn't go our way. They did some things defensively that really hurt us. And, uh, really had nothing to do with the play of the quarterback. But well, uh, I think the, the worst thing that could have happened was us yanking him out of the football game.
2: Well, you know, going back what actually uh, occurred, we were up, seven, I believe we are up seven to six, and uh, uh, Brad took Brett by the arm on the sideline or whatever and said, like, I'm thinking about pulling you or whatever, and then he actually walked over to Tavares to, to and I, and he told us, I'm thinking about pulling Brett, and then Brad left. And then Tavares looks at me and he goes, I don't want a piece of this. (laughs) 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 I mean, you know, Uh, this is like Geno Smith replacing Eli. Like, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, goes in for (laughs) Favre in a game we're winning, you know. But, you know, he was getting – Julius Peppers was a nightmare that night. Oh, That was really the issue. That was a nightmare. Oh, but uh, um, yeah, so that was sort of how that panned out, and he never did get pulled. Do, do you know? Do you remember the uh, what happened in the locker room after that game uh, at well, all? I
4: was on, I was on the bus, <laughs> and I knew what was going on, and it was almost like, oh my god, what's what, what's what's coming out of the locker room here, you know? But uh, I wasn't totally aware of it. Well, you were still in
2: there, right? Well, so I—I I actually, I'm gonna go ahead and just take credit for the whole thing, uh, for like for instigating the whole issue, because I, I, you know, had come out of the shower or something, and I'm getting ready, and, and Brett was talking to both the PR guys, Bob Hagan and Tom West, and Brett looks at me and he goes, "Man, people got to know that like Brad just tried to pull me from this game," you know. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, I think Bob and Tom are like, you're not going to say anything at the press conference, are you? And I look at Brett and I go, I bet you $100 you don't say anything at the press conference. And he goes, I got you on that. And so he walks in there and goes, yeah, Brad tried to tried to uh, to take me out of the game. I'll jump in because because NBC's
3: cameras <laughs> caught it on the sideline. And my office at the Star Tribune called me and said, they're trying to lift five. I said, are you crazy? He said, no. So at the postgame, I asked Brad the question. And Brad, you know, in typical Brad fashion, just danced. So then Brett comes up and we're on deadline. So I don't have much time here. And I said, Brett, it looked like they tried to lift you, or I said, what What happened? And he said he was going to take me out. And I was like, what? And so then Brett starts, and in Brett fashion, guys, he starts going down his three, four paragraph answer, like the play by play, and uh-huh. and then and then after that, Tom Powers of the Pioneer Press, a columnist who was off deadline circled back in the locker room, found Childress and told him, and that's when I guess Brad flipped out. And so oh, congratulations, Sage. All <laughs> hell broke loose. <glory laughs> well, you know, I
2: owe Brad oh, a hundred oh. bucks, I, I guess. Oh, so, you know, he's one of those guys you don't want to call a chicken. It's like Back to the Future yeah, with no, Michael J. Fox. No, and he's going
4: to take you on the dare every time, yeah. you know? And probably come in the locker room after he does it and smack you on the behind.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: So that week three win then, you beat Cleveland and Cleveland, Detroit at Ford Field, and then say, do you come back and win in week three? And I remember when Lewis caught that ball and the place went nuts and you're 3-0 and at that point, thinking, okay, this could be a special year. You just had a feeling, for, at least from my perspective, covering you guys. Internally, in the locker room, how much did that, did you guys have that feeling and did that... Moment and game go from being, hey, we've got Brett Favre and this is cool, and we're and we beat two bad teams. To, oh, this could be really
2: good. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we we knew that Favre. No offense to Tavares or myself, but uh, we knew that Tavares gave us the best chance to win the Super Bowl. I mean, the guy still had a lot of game left, and and. He had played fine in those first two games, but this was where, like, wow, we really needed him to come through for us, and he came through in, in fi- flying colors. And, you know, maybe the rest of the season, hopefully there's not too many games where we have to – he has to do those superhero type of uh, games. But, you know, if he can do it for, you know, three or four games, then catch some magic in the playoffs, this really is a Super Bowl-caliber team. I mean, our defense was so good. Nobody could run on us. I think we did have, like, the number one rush defense in the league for three straight years, which then – you know, uh, you want to know why Jared Allen was so good? One of the reasons it was because we, they were, teams were in third and eight all the time, third and ten all the time because of Kevin and Pat Williams and the linebackers and our, and our rush defense was so, so good. So you have all these situations which are perfect for what Jared, you know, defensive ends aren't that great on third and one, you know, brushing the passer, sure. right? So, yeah. So we had this sort of perfect combination defensively. We had Adrian Pearson. What was interesting, though, was Adrian wasn't after that first game. Really, he wasn't really going off. You know, he wasn't having this incredible. He ended up not only rushing for about thirteen hundred yards, I think, that season. It was not one of his better uh, seasons as, as it was the, the, in the years before. But yeah, we knew we had something special going on. When you have magic like that, and you're three zero, and you got a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you got great defense, and you got a you know a Hall of Fame running back. Uh, and Percy Harvin was super electric was this like wild card that we had picked up uh you know later in the first round or whatever we knew we were going to be able to make a run that year but we also knew we got Green Bay uh you know coming up uh at home and then at some point going to Green Bay so we knew it it's a long season it's 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 a, it's a marathon it really is a marathon and and you sort of just you know one game at a time type of deal but um yeah, I mean, when, when was the next one? Green Bay was not long after that, I got to think, right? That yeah, was
1: you had a home game against Green Bay that was Monday Night Football <laughs> on October 5th. In week four, it was the the next week was home against Green Bay. And then a month later, on November 1st, was at Green Bay for the first time. Uh, what was, from your perspective... I, I
2: have better stories about the game at Green Bay.
1: What's your best story... What are your best one or two stories about occasionally, the I give this,
2: when I When I give a speech sometimes, I occasionally tell this story. So, you know... We played home versus the Packers. We beat them, um, and uh, it was a good game, if I recall, but we got the lead, and and Rodgers just sort of couldn't catch up. Now, Aaron Rodgers was not like the Aaron Rodgers as we know know him now as like sort of his own Superman, but uh, he was still very, very good. And they had Jermichael Finley, who was this monster tight end who probably would have been a Hall of Fame guy if he wouldn't have uh, gotten hurt. Um, Obviously, they had some good receivers, and and they were a good football team. So we, we went at home. We go to Green Bay. And there is a lot of build-up to this game, almost more than the first Green Bay game. I felt like because this was Favre's return to like his home, and there were you know the fans burning his jersey. There was uh, you know the, all the all this sort of extracurricular stuff going on leading up to this thing. But you also knew like there's a lot of Packers fans who are almost more Brett Favre fans than Packer fans, and so like they were you know they were the people were wearing jerseys that had, were like half Green Bay and half Vikings and yeah. they had number 4 it was like you know it was just very it was very odd so well,
1: nobody has ever represented a fan base in American sports like Brett Favre represented the Green Bay Packers it was it was just a a perfect blend
2: the NFL only cares about the, the NFL Shield and the 32 franchises. They truly don't care that much about like the individual player because that would that would mean that people are actually attached to the athletes, which the, the, the I don't think the league actually wants all that much. They want them attached to the teams. Favre was a guy where people were attached to the athlete. And I think Jordan was that way too. You know, there's certain players that are like that that people are uh, you know, there's when I played for the Dolphins, people were Dolphins fans because they just loved it. We'd go play like in Indy or some random place, and there'd be Dolphins fans. I'm like, how are there Dolphins fans in <laughs> Kansas City? There's 200 people <laughs> yeah. at the hotel. It's like, oh, Dan Marino was their idol growing up, so he almost like transcended the and Dolphins. That's years after the fact. Years after the fact, and and yeah, he wasn't even on the team, right? right? So, so this there there was there's some magic there with that. So we're we're in Green Bay. We're in the locker room uh, before the game, and Brett is s- extremely nervous and most games he was you know telling jokes and uh, you know slapping guys on the butt. We've all seen those videos, and he was loose, and that was probably his his own way of almost overcoming his own listen, you're nervous inside, whether you act like it or not, everybody is nervous going into a football game. It is like you know it's a violent, crazy sport. You can't just be like loosey goosey going to the game. If anything, you're probably trying to cover up. You know, it's like it's like a therapy thing to cover up the fact that you're about to walk into a uh, a crap storm. You know, uh, that which is an NFL football game. So anyway, in this game, he's not that way. He is sitting in his locker, and he is shaking. His he is sitting right next to me, and he is visibly like uncomfortable, shaking almost like he's like going to throw up, and. uh so I'm talking to him. I'm like, you are right. He goes, no, I'm, I'm not doing very well. I'm like, w- what's wrong? And he goes, well, you don't realize how hard it is to be Brett Favre every time I go out there. I go, huh? Well, you're going to play great. We got a great team. We got a better team than them. We're going to win the game. And you, just, you don't have to do anything special, you know. I can't say anything, you know, in great words for him, but he, you know, imagine that. Imagine having to do what he did just a few weeks earlier in San Francisco and mentally going, I may have to do this again this time and make magic happen because he did it forever. Like that's the way he played. That's why people were a Vikings Packers jersey combination with number 4 on it because yeah. it was about, you know, because of that magic and that's what that, that was that was magnetic about him. But there was this internal pressure that he had that uh, it's hard to live up to that. And then to go home, I I truly believe he was concerned or did buy, it did bother him that people did burn his jersey or that people might boo him. Like, he loved Packer fans as much as Packer fans loved him. And then to go back and then to, you know, it's like what Andrew Luck had the other night where people booed him. He goes, yeah, it hurt, you know. So imagine going back to this place that you gave it all for and then they boo you just because you're on another team. I think he was sort of worried about how much that would hurt him, you know. And um so there was that in the locker room which, which was interesting. And then as we're walking down the tunnel, now most of these new stadiums, they have these huge tunnels that you can like drive a, a semi through basically out into the field. And so it's not some small now in Green Bay it's not that way. It's basically a single person, single row tunnel. Like maybe you can have two-way traffic of one person's coming up to the locker room and one person's going down, but it's that's about it. Yeah,
1: but not like Kevin and Pat Williams, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, yeah, out it's the end zone too, right? Yeah, it's the south come right end out zone. Into that end zone, it's the yeah.
2: south end zone. You come out of the south end zone, and you sort of it's like it's like you open up to the Lambeau Field. It really is. It's I think it's probably the coolest like entrance into an NFL stadium for any football team of any of the stadiums. I think it's the coolest one. Uh, you know, sometimes you're in the corner of the end zone. Again, they're like they're, they're these huge. Uh, places where all the, uh, you know, the, the, the lawnmowers and all these things are going on and golf carts and stuff. This is not that way. This is like just for human beings to walk up and down at, at the width of maybe like six feet or something like that. So as we're organizing at the top of the stairs, I think to myself, because I've been there before, and I think to myself, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Brett Favre as he exits this tunnel cameras. This is going to be documented forever. You know, Brett Farr's return to Lambeau Field. So I think to myself, you know, I'm going to be right behind him when this happens. <laughs> <laughs> to get, get, make sure Sage Rosenfeld's
1: brain lives be, on forever.
2: I'm going to be right behind him when that happens, and so we work our way down the tunnel, and then we jog out. And you know those like old NFL films, videos where they have the camera like sort of high above the quarterback or the, the star player as they run out onto the field and through like the cheerleaders and the whatever, yeah. and or
1: like Joe Namath walking back in from yeah, the high like angles. that, yeah, right?
2: Yeah. I had that view right and and it was like the best view in the whole house and I got to feel pretty much at the same time Brett felt it the mix of cheers and boos and all that sort of just landing on us I get you know the snaps of the camera and and you know all that it was I got to be right behind him for that moment and really almost feel that and uh, when, when I do occasional presentation, I'll put up. There's a couple of pictures you can find online of just that instance of here. You know, here's far run out, but there's Sage behind him. Yeah. And there's never two chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so That's the, amazing. So Sage, the press
3: box in Lambeau Field is sealed. Okay, so you can't really hear a ton. Like the everything sounds muffled. But I remember when Brett came out of that tunnel that you're talking about and I don't think I've ever experienced this in my life before, it crescendoed, it sounded like a 747 was taking off. From your perspective of being right behind him that day, what did it sound like and feel like? Because I've been to two Twins World Series title games, I've, seen, I've, I've heard stadiums loud. I don't think I've ever heard a stadium loud like that, and I don't think I will again in my life.
2: Well, it's just a weird feeling being, you know, like the absolute spotlight uh, for like running out for warmups. You know what I mean? It's, 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 um, I've never been, I, you know, I played in all these games and time ready to come out and all these things, but you could actually feel from the moment we exited that tunnel through the fact that, we, you know, we were jogging over to the sideline and, and finding a football and playing catch with bread or whatever. Like it's almost like the eyes never left us. You could, you could feel like everything that I was doing, even though everyone's looking at Brett, but like I was his, you know, lazy play catch partner, but like everything was just being stared at, whether it's cameras or the whole crowd. I think it was uh, it was very odd. It was, I mean, it was being like the ultimate, ultimate spotlight. And then you have to go out there and actually play a football game, uh, which ended up being a great game. It was, it was a fantastic football game and, and Favre played uh, wonderful in that game and we probably don't win that game unless he would have played so great in that game he was super efficient and and played great there was a time we were moving the ball i feel like we uh we had the lead but it wasn't by a lot and and we're like getting into uh to, or getting close to the red zone maybe and we had called timeout or there's timeout or something far on the sidelines and it was like third down and and uh, i had said something like hey be careful. Like, we can't have an interception. He <laughs> like, goes, like, Are you kidding me? Like, you, don't, don't freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, but, you know, it was one of those deals like, Hey, we really need this field goal. We'll go up like 10 points or something like that. And I think you end up throwing a touchdown pass to like Bernard Berry and like on the next play or something. But, um, I was nervous. You know what I mean? Like I was nervous because I wanted to our team to win so badly for him because I probably because of what I had witnessed in that locker room, much less, you know, our playoff hopes and all those things like that. But, you know, it meant so much to him uh to go back there and play and play great football. And he did play uh, spectacular in, in that game, really almost perfect and and um uh, that that was uh but from the beginning of that game to the end of that game, I I was like I was uncomfortable, you know, most of the game because you just want to win it so bad it makes you uh like anxious, you know, as, as a back quarterback on the sidelines and and you know sort of anxious for Brett and and uh, and their defense was confusing. They had Charles Woodson and they blitzed a lot. They had a really some tough blitz packages in that game and Favre saw them all and got rid of them and and Belva really did call a very good game. Uh, In that game, our defense played pretty well, and uh, we, we pulled out a victory.
1: Okay, let's make this the end of part one here because we have a deep dive on the horizon for the NFC Championship game ahead this is minnesota sports rewind thank you so much for listening if you like the show if you like these stories that say josenfels is telling and uh, maybe you've sampled some of the other episodes we would love it if you gave us a five-star review on either apple or spotify wherever you listen to podcast and go tell some friends about minnesota sports rewind thanks for listening
0: hi this is chris howard host of plugged in with chris howard And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. And don't forget, Bet Online for the NHL, MMA, Boxing, and Golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts.